on this week's episode, who won and who lost at the Golden Globes? Should Ubisoft see goodbye? And the good and bad with Dungeons and Dragons. All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC multiverse this is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos game source inside sports fantasy football the lakers fast break we truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our fantabulous as i made up a new word shows and if you can please give us that five star review wherever you get your podcasts Plus, if you could like, share, subscribe, follow, or do whatever it is that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, Game Source, the great folks at Vampires and Vitae, Wild Beyond a Witchlight, part of the Wizards and Wine Emporium, and all the things that we do, including Demolition Force Mondays and everything that we do within the realm of tabletop RPGs. The fact that we have a wonderful site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and of course the fact that we cover every single day the latest news and trends in pop culture right there for you at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And if you can do all of that, if you can support all of that, and especially if you can like all of that, it is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without my good friend and compadre in crime. On Fridays, she is now back on the Friday show after seeing the limelight of the Monday show. She said there's a difference in the chair and the seating and the lighting and all that. So I guess she's right. I don't know. <laughs> it seems all the same to me. I'm just saying Josh's chair is a lot comfier than mine. That's all I'm trying to say. You realize, so. though, that Josh's chair is in Texas. Well, I mean, I guess everything is bigger in Texas. I don't know. Yeah, there's a pretty big chair. You're right. Yeah, if you could just uh, send one of those my way, okay. Gerald. I'll ask Josh. <laughs> he, uh, he he was reaching out to me today talking about a possible interview he could do while waiting for the baby. And I was like, uh, just, yeah, sure, you can do the interview. Next time I'll add it. Sure, go ahead. Do the interview anytime you want, man. No problem. By the way, Melinda oh, no. wants your chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to let you know yeah, i'm sure he would be thrilled <laughs> i'm sure he would be thrilled at me but you can go ahead and check out what she's doing today at vampires and vitae turning those tarot cards over mm-hmm. right there for you on facebook vampires and vitae on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts while beyond a Witchlight with wizards and wine on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts it is my good friend it is new style hair mm. Melinda Parkhouse Ross and Melinda, great to have you here back on the show, back at the Friday show with your comfy normal seat once yes. again. Yes. Back to the regular padding. 
I, I guess like, the padding has always been the same for me. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Especially because it's share. If I sit it in a wrong fashion, I actually will on air actually slide down a couple notches because it's actually starting to, to uh, break here on me. So that's not a good thing. But what can I say? The that's wonders it. of the chair. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's more about me. I don't know. <laughs> Line up for Melinda has the rant you've been waiting for, listeners and viewers, about the 200 greatest singers. There's been a lot of controversy since Rolling Stone put out their list and their thoughts on it. We'll talk about that coming up in a bit. Plus also a little bit more ranting, not just on who won and who lost the Golden Globes, not just 200 greatest singers, but also as well the good and bad with Dungeons & Dragons. The Good, it's an announcement of a TV series. We'll tell you where it's going to go. Uh, but, but, the bad being some decisions of some leaked documents by Wizards of the Coast, a.k.a. their parent company, Hasbro, and what their plans are for this new D&D 1 concept that they have coming on, which are really, really ticking off fans, including us right here. So we'll talk about that as well. Ubisoft, we'll talk about the fact that they not only have some issues, but we'll ask ourselves, is it time that they should be bought out by a big entity like, you know, what we've seen with Bethesda and Activision and all that? We'll talk about that coming up on the show. Plus the movies debuting this MLK weekend. And of course, we pay tribute to one of the greatest guitar players. And that's coming up on the show as well. But first, my friend... Great to have you here once again. I wanted to ask you if you got a chance to see the Golden Globes coming back after a lot of controversy over the past couple of years. Uh, it's been very widely criticized. Tom Cruise handed over his Golden Globes from over the years and actually was used back on them in a joke. And I don't want to go into the joke or anything like that. You, know, you got to read up on that. But your thoughts on the Golden Globes before we get into some of the major wins and some of the major snubs. But it was down 25% from the last time it was on in full, I believe, in 2019. So not everybody's back in love for the Golden Globes. Yeah, and Ricky Gervais uh, certainly noted that on his Twitter. He said, no, I'm not coming back, <laughs> was all that he put. <laughs> so... There you go. Um, but I what I think what was appealing about him as a host was it was like he dared to say the things in front of all of those celebrities in the room full of all of those people who can make or break careers and uh, say the things that perhaps we have had the same opinion of over the years. Um, so it was, uh, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was gutsy of them to have him as a, a host for those years but uh the host and i apologize i can't remember his name now um but he he let some stuff get to him that i just felt was bad form not that i have hosted the golden globes let's face it but i have hosted my fair share of uh events be it an award show or um auctions or, or whatever have you over my 20 years in radio and one thing you don't do is get angry at your audience for not listening and he did that repeatedly, and that just killed it for me. Well, Jared Carmichael, who's a comedian, hosted the show, and he, uh, he doesn't have the name value yet, uh, you know, as, I guess, a comedian and, a, and an entertainer yet that I think also didn't drive in the audience as much as, uh, I guess, was you know, thought, or also as well in NBC's case, 
maybe the stigma of all the controversies that Golden Globes has had over the course of the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's still going to be a, an after effect of it. And it's going to take a long time before people come to accept the Golden Globes again in cer- certain people's eyes and whatnot. But you know what? Be that as it may, it was there. It was down 26% from the last time around. I don't think Ricky Gervais is going to improve it by 26%. There's still more issues that they have to take care of as a whole, but I don't know. They've just got some things to figure out as far as the the Golden Globes uh, officials there. But one thing that is, to say the least, Golden Globes are in many ways uh, maybe the, the second tier the top of the second tier as far as awards season goes for both movies and television. The Emmys is number one for TV. The Oscars, number one for films. But the Golden Globes are considered right behind as far as the Foreign Critics Association. And they listed out some awards. I won't go over the numerous awards that they dished out. I know, but there were some major ones I want to talk about. First up, the big win of the year and the most deserved win of the year is Michelle Yeoh. Yes. Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. A sensational job. I love the fact when she's up there thanking everyone and giving her congratulatory speech, they tried to put the taped, it was actually not live. It was actually taped piano music. It wasn't by the pianist that do, told to do that live. So I know there's a little bit of controversy there, but I want to say that she told the producer, whoever was running the tape music uh, to shut up. Yeah. Or I'll come over and kick your ass. And uh, I think that <laughs> was uh, very to that effect. And that that was very uh, pointed. And that's very Michelle Yeoh. Because, well, that she can kick your ass. I think was that was something like that. So yeah. I will say, though, that that's Michelle Yeoh to a T. And uh, she deserves all the credit in the world for that. Her co-star also won for Everything Everywhere, all, everything everywhere all at Once. And for some reason, the movie itself got snubbed by the Banshees of Insurance, which is a really good film, very dark. But that film, to me, wasn't a comedy. That film was more of a drama, and they put it in the comedy and musical section, so they kind of give it an out, and it won. And now it's being considered the favorite. I still think Everything Everywhere All at Once should be considered the favorite, but be that as it may, the Banshees of Insurance you know, two great performances. Actually, the whole cast, great performances in that film. It's a very actor-driven film and actresses in the film. It's just really outstanding. But uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is still my top film of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, she, uh, you know, either made reference to having just turned 60 last week or was turning 60 this week. And this was her first, like, American award, I suppose, uh, was the way that she put it. You know, it just gives you a little bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not going to, I'm not saying hope, because I I feel like that's a little bit too much. But, you know, when you become a woman of a certain age, you're like, oh, that's the young ladies game. That's, that's for the younger girls and, and all of that kind of stuff. And not when you have women like Michelle Yeoh, who are walking in and, um, you know, taking these awards that are so well-deserved and have been deserved over the course of her incredible career. I was very, very happy for her. Absolutely thrilled. And I may have started to boycott the Golden Globes if she hadn't have taken that award, to be completely honest. Well, she said it was an American award. It is kind of an American award because it deals with American television film, but it's done by the Foreign Critics Association. Yeah, I think I I I I said American. 
I think she may have said Hollywood. Hollywood. I think it's more Hollywood, like you were said, more yeah. entertainment Hollywood. Yes. Even though the TV shows are on, for the most part, American platforms, the films are mostly American produced for right. the most part. Yeah. So it's kind of weird how they lay that out. But yeah, it's, it is uh, kind of strange how they play that out. But I will say Banshees of Insurance, excellent movie itself, but it's just, it goes too dark for me especially in the last third of it. Colin Farrell won for Best mm -hmm. Actor and Austin Butler won for Elvis ahead of Brendan Fraser. So for The Whale, or I don't know how that works out. I think, no, I'm sorry. Uh, he won for Drama for Elvis for Musical Comedy, even though Elvis, you know, if he sings and they could, could you not consider, I don't, I don't understand exactly what they really consider comedy and musical and drama. I just think they tried to fit the ones that they wanted to get awards for in the right slots and decided to categorize it from there. So I'm, I'm tired of dealing with all this separation of just what they do at the uh, Golden Globe. So I will say, though, that when it comes to the TV side of things, it's the Fablemans and, and Steven Spielberg won yes. for Best Film in a Drama and also Best Director. As much as I think Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest directors of all time, I do not think this film should have won it. I think it should have been the Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah. Uh, I also think as far as directors and for the movie, I do not – I thought it was okay. I just thought it was way too long. Your thoughts on The Fablemans winning? Well, I I can you know we we always know a particular style of movie or a movie about a particular topic is mm -hmm. going to be something that is going to resonate well with the people who pick and choose what movies are going to go into these award shows. Like for uh, the Oscars, for example, just have an epic war movie and you're probably going to get nominated for some reason. It just always seems to work like that. I'm not saying it shouldn't, but it just is something that you seem to be able to count on. So when you have, um, you know, a, a movie that just seems to fit that kind of I don't know, large cons. I don't, I don't know. It, um, it well, it was going up against Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, and Avatar The Way of Water and the drama. Yeah, I just section, which isn't a big, even though there are two heavyweights as far as box office, it really wasn't a big group. The comedy or musical, The Banshees of Intron won for Best Picture ahead of Everything Everywhere All at Once and Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery, and Babylon and Triangle Sagas. I, I just think they should just stop the separate sections. Everything just gets drawn out. I just think they should just say who are the best, like like the Oscars. Oscars. Right, but with with the Spielberg thing in particular, it was kind of autobiographical, wasn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, it so is that's fair. why it won. That's why yeah, it won, arguably. That's and why. I'm not gonna, again, he is one of the finest directors uh, of all time. No one can ever take that away. But I did not find that film to be one of his best films ever. I don't find it in this. I, I think I could name 10 pictures better than the Fablements that he's directed personally. Uh, I think that's something that, you know, it was, like you said, autobiographical, but it's an okay movie, but I just didn't find anything resonating from it. And I understand it's based off his early life, but I just didn't think it was the 
just didn't think it was you know endearing enough to me yeah and you know uh when uh, when you have a spielberg autobiographical film that he has directed perhaps it doesn't need to make you do that it just ticks enough of the boxes um where they are satisfied with that selection and they move on to the next category yeah i guess so i guess so but congratulations to him nonetheless and you know, the way, again, they do it with the Golden Globes is very, I don't know, it, just, it seems to just, it thins everything out from having a nice quality uh, options there, you know, in the different categories. But it's there to about give everybody an award or seemingly or so many more an opportunity to get award to cover all the bases when it comes to the Golden Globes. As far as the TV side, want to go ahead and cover some of the major victories for the white lotus uh, abbott elementary both are outstanding shows i'm not going to disparage anything on those two those two are just outstanding uh, you know especially with abbott elementary with a big big win for abc which has been struggling as far as for ratings in recent years so big win for them you, you know, with The White Lotus, everybody's caught on to the fascination everybody's had with The White Lotus on HBO. I still think Severance was the best show I saw on television. I've told you that all year long, so I thought that kind of got snubbed. I do want to say one last thing as far as the Golden Globes. I do want to go ahead and congratulate Angela Bassett for a supporting role in a mo motion picture. It's the first acting award ever for the Marvel Cinematic Universe for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever which is pretty cool seeing how the MCU has already been around for 13 plus years and finally is getting some notoriety outside of just a, on a technical aspect. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, uh, that's huge. And, and plus it's she, and she looked amazing as she accepted her award and yeah, um, yeah no, I'm, I'm there for, for all of that. Um, you know, I, I have such a soft spot for those black Panther movies. I think that they're fantastic and I feel it's fitting that those movies be the only ones really from the Marvel uh, universe in an acting um, category that have won um, because I have such a soft spot for those movies. I just think they're so incredibly well done and compelling. So, uh, Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, but the Golden Globes uh, just came and went. Maybe in some cases, stirring up the odds for possible Oscar victories for some of these films and some of these actors and actresses with their performances. Banshees of Interin, The Fablemans, getting some love at the Golden Globes. Also as well, Everything Everywhere All at Once with some great acting awards. So definitely looking forward to seeing how that translates into box office or Oscar gold coming up in the near future for those films. So if you have any thoughts on the Golden Globes, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, now it's time. We've been teasing it all week. She has been formulating her thoughts, percolating like a coffee machine. <laughs> I want to go ahead and ask you your thoughts. Rolling Stone last week debuted its greatest singers ever. I don't know how that translates other than their best, the best singers ever, or I, I don't know what their, their, their parameters on it. I tried to look at it and it was just like, okay, that's just going down a rabbit hole. I don't go down, but 
I know there's some thoughts on it as far as those who made it and those who didn't with more on those who didn't. And when it concerns greatest singers, are you talking about most successful or the parameters in which they decided these are the greatest singers of all time? I really found questionable. I'll just say that in some of their choices, but I'm going to hand it over to you, my friend, with no Celine Dion, no Sting, and some other notable absences. How can it truly be the 200 greatest singers of all time? Well, you know, unless you got Luciano Pavarotti and, you know, some opera singers, those are the true great singers of the universe. So. Well, okay. So from, because I, I was offended on a personal level by this last week when we first started to really kind of talk about you it. You were. And, like deeply offended on a personal level um, for those who were left off of this list. And I am not mad about anybody making it onto this list. I'm I'm not upset, and I don't hold, uh, you know, any any kind of anger or hostility towards any of the artists, the 200 who are on the list. But my grievances are more about who was left off, and I think that that's really the camp that a lot of people are coming from. The criteria is murky at best. I know that the last time they put something like this together, it was all done internally by like staff writers at Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. And they um, actually expanded uh, this time around and put the call out to a lot of their regular contributors who don't necessarily work in Rolling Stone HQ. So they've kind of opened it up to anybody who has worked at Rolling Stone and written an article at any point, you know, make your argument to get anybody on this list. So a lot of people deserve to be on the list. Erica Badu, Jeff Buckley, Aaron Neville, Clyde McFadder, Usher, Selena, Amy Winehouse, Steve Perry, Joe Fogarty, Chris Cornell, the list like that, okay? Nobody is upset about anybody who's on that list at that point. Rihanna made it on the list and very high up in the list, which I found interesting. Please don't get me up, get me wrong. I love me some Rihanna. Girl, give me that album. But when you look at the the list of other people who are on here, I don't know that she should have been as high up on the list as she is. Again, love her. Please don't at me about it. Um, we had Leonard Cohen on the list. We had Billie Eilish. Admittedly, she was you know very low on the list, like within the first 10 names. So between 200 and 190, she was in there somewhere. Um, Eddie Vedder was on the list. Ella Fitzgerald, Etta James, Aaliyah. Again, nobody is upset about who made it on the list. They're upset about who wasn't. So I was, you know, been talking to Robbie about it for the last couple of days. Um, a lot of people are bringing up Celine Dion not being on the list. Wherever you stand on Miss Dion, you have got to give the lady credit. She has got pipes and she knows how to use them. Uh, and I want to say, okay, yes, Adele, uh, Adele has had more hits, but mm-hmm. Celine Dion has had many hits of her own. I kind of associate one with the other. And I don't know how you could go ahead and separate one because Adele's within the top 25. I'm just scanning it briefly on Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. How could you not have her in the mix? I, I, again, I just, I just find it odd. Sting, who mm-hmm. has uh, you know, stood, have himself, he stood out with his voice on both his, his stuff that he's done solo and with the police. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what, what is, How they are judging this, how are they grading this, how they are utilizing this, is it it based off commercial success? Is it based off fan appeal? Is it based off critical acclaim? I do not know exactly how they're going ahead and and calculating out these top 200, but 
I, I think they should have just kept it. I think they should have increased it to 300 and go from there. I, I really think that they made a mistake in the way they presented this and the way they've tried to defend it. You know, I'm not going to go ahead and start saying this person should be ahead of this person in the top 25 or anything like that. It's just because you're just setting yourself up for arguments. So I'm not going to do that. Okay. Do I, would I not, would I have that same 25, top 25? No. Would I have that same top 200? No. Would I, would I put some people out and put some other people in? Yes, but that's just me. And I'm sure that's everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you look at these lists, they're so subjective as well. Um, it's not uh, like you can't objectively say uh, this person needs to be in the number one spot. That's that's just not how the arts work. But to not have Buble, to not have Matt Dusk, there was no Meatloaf. Was Meatloaf on there? I didn't see him. Uh, Michael Bolton. Where's Michael Bolton? <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you make fun of Michael Bolton, but at the same time, you, you have to admit that, you know, in his heyday, and you're going to be like, right, that guy could sing like crazy. The top 10, I think that they got pretty right. I am surprised by one of them. And I'm not going to say which one because I don't need that level of hate mail. But the top 10 was Al Green, Otis Redding, Beyonce, Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, Mariah Carey, Billie Holiday, Sam Cooke, Miss Whitney Houston, and incredible Aretha Franklin. That's the top 10. And like See, I said, that, I mean, if they're the greatest voice in the world, I just was, it was kind of put in aside as far as Luciano Pavarotti, but he is one of the greatest voices yes. of all time. Now, how there, would you not include him if it's just based on the greatest voices? Right. But I think that one thing that they. Placido Domingo. For yeah. Goodness it, sake. It has a lot to do with the verbiage, I think, that they were using. And a lot of it has to do with making popular music. And you can argue, no, I, I know, but just bear with me for a second, right? So we can argue here all day that opera music is popular music. We can argue that. But you cannot argue that a Whitney Houston album is going to have more people recognize it than a Pavarotti album. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, that depends. Uh, that depends on the song. I mean, there are some there are some songs that that Luciano Pavarotti and Placido Domingo have sung. I'm using them as an example that have been used in every single platform of pop culture medium for decades. Sure, sure. But they're talking about they're they're talking about like volume of work. They're talking about breadth of work. Um, and when you start to get into that conversation, you're like, well, what about Billie Eilish? Why is she on the list if she's she's so young and it's so early in her career? Is she 20? In is she comparison. I, I don't I think she's getting close to legal I drinking think she age. She is 20? I think, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, she started when she was 14 and she brought her own style of singing. Not that it had never been done before, but just maybe hadn't reached the heights and popularity that Billie Eilish was able to reach with it. And I think that is part of that argument for getting her on this list. You know, like I said, a lot of this stuff is just so subjective. Um, they admit in the article, if you go back and you read it, that they purposely didn't include opera singers because then none of these singers would really have much of a chance. This is true. I mean, but right? but so, then why why label it the greatest singers of all time? Yeah, they should have labeled it like the the greatest in popular culture of the last 
40 years or, or something along. Well, I guess, no, it would have to be more than that now, wouldn't it, to reach back to the yeah. 50s and 60s? I mean, because Elvis was on the list. So yeah. yeah, that dates back to the 50s. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just think that there's, uh, it's, I think it's a verbiage problem, not so much a list problem. I, I think that the list is a solid list of artists and singers and performers. Those who were left off, I don't really understand a lot of their argument for not including them. I, I don't begrudge anybody who's on the list. I just am upset about those who didn't make it to the list. But it also, you couldn't have a top 205 <laughs> greatest singers of all time. Well, I think they needed to do 300 just to cover their bases. But yeah, then again, still people would argue, uh, you know, who, how come they weren't put in the top 300 if that's the case? Well, exactly, right? And when they did this before, they did the top 100, and it didn't seem to cause this much of a stir. But expanding it to 200 and then leaving very key artists and singers and voices off of the list certainly made people take notice of it this time around. And I think it may have just been the proclamation that this is the 20 greatest singers or however it was that it was labeled. I think that's mislabeled. I think they're using the wrong language uh, when they're explaining what they did and what their approach was to this list. Um, and gosh darn it, Celine Dion ought to be on there. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. When was this first one done? The top 100? When was that done? Oh, gosh, it was in the uh, early 2000s, maybe 2010 at like the most recent, perhaps around there. And how was social and how was social media at that time? I mean, it was still pretty young, if I remember correctly. Yes, I'm going to go on my MySpace. I'm going to go on my MySpace account and really rant a storm. Well, no, all you would have done is go on and change the song on your MySpace for uh <laughs> I'm not going to download in it protest. on Napster at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. I'm not going to use any LimeWire to download yes. anything by Jeff Buckley. Exactly. <laughs> but it is a great debate going on ever since it came out. Uh, Melinda has her thoughts on it. I have mine. I know you do as well. So please, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the greatest 200 singers of all time list which is now available off the Rolling Stone website. So you can check it out and comb over it yourself as far as the 200 is concerned and share us your thoughts. On the greatest 200 singers of all time list on Rolling Stone, is it to your satisfaction or do you think someone else should be in there or two singers or three singers or more? Would you make some changes to the 200 greatest singers of all time list on Rolling Stone? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. And if you're ready to talk toys, I haven't stopped talking toys. Let's get to it. It's the Jay and Rob Toy Show, and we're back for season two for 10 more episodes of Toy Talking Goodness. And this time, we talk Marvel figures, we talk DC figures, Holy Grails, play sets, what if scenarios, and so much more. But we're not alone. We've brought a few friends with us this time. All that, and of course, our action figure spotlight. So check out the Jay and Rob Toy Show season two exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. My friend, one half hour down, one half hour to go. I actually thought that was pretty calm. You were pretty chill. You were going into the show fired up, angry. You know what? I thought you you remained subdued and you remained, you know, I, I'm going to give you a big compliment on that because you were really fired up going into this episode. Yeah. And if, you know what? I, I credit my discovery of stoicism. I'm I'm working on keeping myself a little more calm, a little more keel, a little Reach more that zen. that level of zen. Yes. That's, that's where I'm trying to come from. But no, once, 
like last week because I was only really seeing stuff from the naysayers and the people who had the big problems with the lists and they were just absolutely trashing it. And then I went in and I've read it a couple of times at this point and I've gone through the list and today in painstaking detail so I could, you know, kind of make some notes about who I was happy to see on it and who I thought should have been included and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I managed to logically calm myself down a little bit and I think it really does come down to verbiage used and not being really clear on what their parameters were for getting their list together such a travesty I know names and history like Celine Dion Sting as we mentioned Weird Al Yankovic that's the biggest travesty of all <laughs> I'm gonna write a letter I'm gonna get him put right in at number 200 there you go sounds good indeed <laughs> can you imagine Yes, but we've got a great show still to come as far as the rest of the half hour is concerned. The movie's debuting this weekend for the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend. Hopefully everyone will have a safe and fantastic and enjoyable weekend. Plus also remember the great Martin Luther King Jr. during that, and I hope that they do. Wanted to go ahead and mention some of the movies that are coming this weekend, trying to fight off Avatar, The Way of Water. And also Megan, which overperformed, which we talked about on the Monday show, which I still think will have a decent second week as far as in its uh, opening couple of weeks. It is the lower budget horror movies we always talk about on the show that really are the money makers as far as Hollywood is concerned. But in its new week right now, as far as the debuting of some movies, one of the movies that is actually going to be expanded is A Man Called Otto with Tom mm. Hanks because he's a widower and really is not happy with anyone that, you know, the neighborhood comes together and, you know, he becomes a little bit more warmer and there's a happy, feely, good story there. I think that movie is done pretty good in its uh, limited number of theaters. It's get, it gets expanded. How uh, encouraged are you by this movie heading into the weekend? I think it's going to do okay. I don't think that Tom Hanks is uh, ever going to get back the Tom Hanks name and drawing power that he once had. But still, a Tom Hanks movie could be a really good Tom Hanks movie when it wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that it might not be the Tom Hanks movie that gets everybody out to theaters, but it's definitely going to be the movie that gets everybody talking when it finally hits streaming platforms. I, I think that this is going to be that kind of a movie. Not to say that people aren't going to make the trip to the theater to go see them, but I just don't think that it's going to do big numbers. I don't think it's going to give much competition to uh, Avatar. No, no, nor do I think any of the movies on this list that are uh, coming out this weekend, including Plane from Gerard Butler, which when you first look at it as a movie that's dumped in January, because as you and I have talked about before, January is usually the dumping ground for movies that are not going to be or not expected to perform to the studio's liking. And this movie looked uh, as far as the trailer looked to be some sort of uh, straight to DVD or straight to streaming stuff that Gerard Bartler has been known for doing on occasion when he's not making some other movies that are actually making some money like the fallen series or whatnot, but he does have a tendency to make these type of films, but actually this one's getting some okay reviews. Nice. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I enjoy Gerard Butler immensely and there's not a lot of, stuff he can do incorrectly in my books 
perhaps I'm a little biased there, but yeah, maybe a little bit of that sneaking in. But no, I'm, I'm always interested to see uh, what Gerard Butler is up to and uh, what he's taking on next. So it's again, it's not going to get me to a theater, but it's definitely one that the day it starts streaming, I will be watching. When the other movie that's coming out of note for the MLK Jr. weekend is House Party with uh, LeBron James company executive producing this. It is a revival or re-envisioning of the House Party movie, which we all know from the past in the 90s, I believe it was, that came out. Are we talking Kid and Play House, Kid and Play's yes. House Party? Yes. Stop right now. How did I not know this movie was coming out? Well, it was first supposed to come out this summer, but HBO, when they were doing their massive changes, and we'll get to right. HBO here later in, in uh -huh. the hour with, with uh, some price changes that they did. They made some rearrangements in their schedule with some movies, and this was one of them. It was taken off the summer schedule. It was taken off the schedule at one time. It was looking like it was going to be off the schedule entirely. Then there was talk about it was going to be just on streaming, and now it was dumped in the middle of January. I really don't have high aspirations for this. LeBron James, who you know I cover extensively on the Lakers Fast Break, of has course. not talked about it at length really much. So <laughs> I have a feeling it's not setting itself up for a good weekend this weekend. You know what, though? It might surprise you. There could be a little bit more nostalgia out there for those movies than you realize. Is it enough to make any kind of impact on the freight train that is Avatar right now? Probably not. No, I don't think so. And I think there's also going to be some interest from people looking into some of the Golden Globes winners that are hopefully still available and out there, that, you know, if they are in, in limited release and as far as the box office is concerned. So there'll be a little bit of uptick for some of those movies. But yeah, looking forward to seeing some of the results from uh, this weekend. And we'll go ahead and report that on the Monday show. Glad to see everybody's still interested in the movies with Avatar 2 and then also as well Megan doing really well. But what about the other movies that are getting expanded or releasing this weekend? Please let us know your thoughts on House Party. Please let us know your thoughts on The Man Called Autumn. Please let us know your thoughts on Plane with Gerard Butler. Pop Culture Cosmos at Yahoo.com. If any of these movies are going to do well, we'd love to hear it. Pop Culture Cosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, before we hit the break, I wanted to go ahead and ask your thoughts on this because there's a rant on the other side as we close the show on Dungeons & Dragons, HBO price hike, and of course we pay homage to Jeff Beck, the late guitarist who passed away this week. But before we hit the break, I wanted to talk to you about Ubisoft because Ubisoft in its uh, latest conversation with shareholders, uh, they decided for the sixth time that they're delaying Skull and Bones. Now get this time frame, which they plan to release it now, the latest one. They are delaying it to April of 2023 to 2024. So anytime between April 2023 and April of 2024, that's their new scheduled release date. So when, they're delaying it by a year. Something like that, yeah. Right. And they had already guaranteed that it was going to come out after five delays. Mm -hmm. that they've had on this game this year. It was going to come out, I think, in the first part of this year, if I'm not mistaken. So that's gone on the wayside for a while. And then they also announced that they had three games that, that were in development, uh, unknown, unknown games that they had not yet released to the public. They were all canceled. And they said that uh, the Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope 
uh, Sparks of Hope game, that is underperformed. And Just Dance, that game has also, for this latest year, that has underperformed. So Ubisoft is not in the position it was in. And this is something I know that uh, Josh and I talked about because he has such a love for the Assassin's Creed series, which has done so well, Mm -hmm. which basically was one of the main reasons why Ubisoft in the early 2010s, I'm going to say 2013 was one of the top video game companies in all the world 10 years later roughly or thereabouts you can't even say that they're even in the top 10 i'm gonna be completely honest with you being first place in anything is terrible it's so hard because you have the farthest to fall and you have everything to lose and being the the top dog and especially if you manage to get there and stay there for a little while, it makes you complacent and you stop thinking about innovation and you stop thinking about, uh, you know, some of the things that helped your company to get to that number one spot. So all of a sudden you're, um, you know, you're just reskinning things and you're um, just changing bits and pieces of games and, and re-releasing them, which we have seen happen quite a bit. Um, but I think that it's just going to take hiring uh, a couple of the correct kinds of uh, game developers to come in. I'm not even saying to bring in a brand new IP. I'm thinking to like just take something and, and evolve it, give it a new iteration, and uh, really hone the craft on it, really work at it, really dedicate a lot of people to it. And you're, you're going to slowly crawl your way back up to that number one spot. But right now, what they're doing just doesn't seem to be working. The Just Dance stuff i'm not surprised what a trend that was though when it was at its peak like everybody Mm -hmm. was playing those games uh there were ladies all over uh the world who were using that as their workout program self-included in in that but uh you know i'm I'm not surprised to see that that's kind of fallen out of vogue especially when now uh what you want to do is learn the new tiktok dance and do the tiktok dance instead of the just dance dance so it's it's just not as cool as it used to be. So, you know, there there needs to be an evolution of that. And once you start to be able to do those kinds of things, uh, then I think you're going to start to see them, uh, you know, switch their momentum around and start to get their way back to the top. I, I think it really does just come down to relaxing and uh, resting on your laurels a little bit. I'm glad you think a little bit better of them than I do. I think they've been a company that's been mismanaged for a long time. Mm-hmm. I know that they still have with Rainbow Six and Assassin's Creed two IPs that they can rely upon, but the way they... I do they... love me some Rainbow Six. I am terrible at it, but I do love that game. Yeah, and they've made some continuous money over the years, even mm-hmm. when they went to uh, their style of, I think, all like a free-to-play option with a whole bunch of uh, microtransactions and whatnot. And they've actually been able to do very well. Matt. But while those two have been successes, those two IPs have been successes, the division they've done dirty, they've really destroyed that IP, which was so, which was so promising at one point in time. And other notes of, of IPs, I mean, their latest with Mario Rabbits, which was such a huge hit for the Switch, the first one was such mm-hmm. a huge hit. And with this latest one, which did get garner re- decent reviews, for whatever reason, has not resonated as well as underperformed. And we just think this is a company that's in need of help. It's been mismanaged for over a decade now. It has a lot of projects that they've released which have failed miserably, or a lot of things that they've spent time and money on which have failed miserably. I really think that it's time for a, a party to come in similar to a Sony or similar to what a Microsoft has done for Bethesda and for hopefully Activision Blizzard 
to go in and really make some changes to go ahead and set things better and set things right for the company. I really think that they're prime. It's been always talked about for the past uh, five or so years about they've been in and out of rumors of being purchased as a entity, as a company in and of themselves, as far as they've been owned by and, and partially owned by several different uh, companies over the years. But they, they, they're really, you know, it's time for Ubisoft to be put on the right track. If they can't do it themselves, somebody should come in and do it for them. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that that's, uh, that might be one of the realizations that they're having. Um, so I, I don't think that they're, you know, dead in the water by any means. I think no. it's just, it's no, it's just going to be the, they just have to get the right people in the right places working on the right projects. And I mean, if, if we all had that kind of capability to have that kind of foresight, we'd all be millionaires, right? Yeah, that's true. But the, they burned out the Assassin's Creed IP for a while when it came out every single year. And then they realized this can't be the next Call of Duty. They can't do Call of Duty what Call of Duty does, bring out a new one every year and expect high sales. So they suffered from that and tried to make it as games as a service. And it hasn't gone over as well as they'd hoped there as well. But the AC brand is still very strong. And then, like you said, with Rainbow Six, as you can see from behind my head, it is still something very much revered by gamers all over. So, yeah, I mean, it's something that they do have IPs there that are attractive. I just think that they need someone, some entity to come in and write the ship for them because they're not writing it themselves. Sure. And then they will find that person or that team of people there. There will be people who come in to uh, to help steer that a little bit better. Um, but I really do think it's going to come down to picking one really important project and sinking all of that time and all of that talent into it. And uh, once that becomes successful, then your team starts to get a little bit more courageous again and uh, money starts coming in. So the bean counters are happy again and the creatives will be able to just go ahead and do their jobs. Because when the accountants get involved with the creatives, that's when you start to see little weird problems like this happen. What are your thoughts out there on the troubles befalling Ubisoft and the disappointing numbers and disappointing changes that have been made because of it, because of cancellations, delays, again, to Skull and Bones for the sixth time, plus underwhelming numbers for Just Dance and Mario and Rabbits, Sparks of Hope. What are your thoughts out there on the future of Ubisoft? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. Well, my friend, we're almost out of here, but before we go, I want to go ahead and touch on a couple things that have caught my eye. The first is the price hike coming up for the ad-free portion of HBO and HBO Max primarily was what we should be talking about, HBO Max. With the merger between the Discovery HBO happened here in the, in the coming months and advance 
effective immediately the rate monthly yearly of hbo max it is now exceeding what you have to pay for netflix your thoughts on this on hbo max increasing its price and not being the value that it once was yeah i'm probably gonna have to get rid of that service until the next game of thrones thing happens and then i'll i'll get it again honestly that's that's probably how it's gonna work out for me personally speaking there's just not enough content that I've been able to see and really latch on to when it comes to HBO Max. I'm not saying that they don't have content on there because they certainly do, but when I have all of these other options in front of me, particularly ones that specialize more in anime and stuff like that, that Robbie and I tend to watch, um, they just don't really have a lot of that. Um, so I don't catch myself watching it very often. I just think it's uh, not the right message you want to make now, but then again, they've been restructuring for almost a year now. Yeah. And I was surprised going into 2022. I thought they were just doing really good looking on the upside. They, I thought that the day and date movies thing had really sparked their, their subscribership to the point where it was really starting to look really positive. They had a lot of content on there that was really promising and really good. And they still do. Like you said, I mean, the white Lotus uh, winning time, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tokyo vice. They've got a ton of good stuff there that I think people should go ahead and catch. But to now being in the price range of what Netflix is or also more than Netflix is yeah. not a good way to go. I understand that there's going to be added value with the discovery shows and what that's what they're prepping people for. But there might, if there's a price hike then after you made a price hike now, that's not a good combo. Yeah, no. If this is a if this is an upfront thing that's not going to become a higher price tag once all of that stuff is available, then okay. But no, I I'm I'm with you. It's it's I can't imagine that they're not going to charge more money once more of that content is on there. What are your thoughts out there on a price hike for HBO Max? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. My friend, 10 minutes left, mm -hmm. uh, so I thought we'd cover it mainly with the Dungeons & Dragons discussion. Yeah. Because uh, a little bit more venting needs to be done. Mm -hmm. First off, the good. The good yes. and bad with Dungeons & Dragons. The good is that Paramount Plus, another streaming service that has also had some ups and downs, uh, most likely they're probably going to increase their price at some point in time. But they are promising to go in development with a Dungeons & Dragons series, which I think we talked about when it, when we started seeing the trailers for the Dungeons & Dragons movie coming out later this year. So that seemed like a natural to me at the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that they're finally instituting it. I know that our Dungeons & Dragons group were really excited for it when I dropped the news on to them. So your thoughts on the TV series for Dungeons & Dragons, a live action one. Yeah, it can only be a good thing. I I I love that fantasy setting. I love uh swords and dragons and wizards and magic and you know, elves and fae and satyrs and crazy looking monsters. Like I I love all of that stuff. So of course I'm going to love a Dungeons and Dragons show. And that's before I start to talk about my background in Dungeons and Dragons and and you know, what I've been able to do there. So um, you know, it's it's basically like they're making a whole show just for me. I think, though, that they should do it and approach it the way I mentioned it before was like, let's have Melinda, you know, with the 
whole dungeon master screen there uh -huh. talking uh -huh. to the players yeah and as she's yeah. talking to players it slowly fades into yeah, yeah, yeah. that that mystical world yeah, yeah and then we'll go transfer back and forth as far as okay let's say roger is on the table and he rolls a one and then you see what hap bad happens to him in the live action part of it to see what actually happens so they're going back and forth on that so it keeps the the actual spirit of dungeons and dragons and maybe despite what i'm about to say next and what we're going to talk about next <laughs> maybe get people interested in the actual game that's even you know possible but i'm just saying that that would be the thing I would, if I weren't creating a series, I would do it that way. I think that would be a wonderful way to start each episode, to start with a group of people sitting around a table, passing around the bag of Doritos and, uh, you know, all of the other snacks, which is a huge part of sitting down at the table to play D&D, &D, let's be honest. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, you, the first dice roll at the table is the first thing that happens, you know, in the fantasy world that uh, they're creating around the table i think that would be a wonderful way to transition between the two and or keep like the during... essence of D, D. yeah or anytime a battle happens like let's say yeah. okay yeah i get my bow out you know because my character in our monday show is famous yes. for his bows mm -hmm. so i get my bow out and i'm going to be shooting from 100 feet away blah, blah. well roll so it rolls and you see it slowly <laughs> you know the, the, the start rolling 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 and then all of a sudden it lands on let's say 17 so yeah. and, and you know according to the rules it would actually hit mm -hmm. so and it hits with this amount of damage mm -hmm. so then you actually see it play out live like that as far as it and it intertwines with an actual live game so that's just me i just thought it would be good so yeah it's a that's definitely an interesting transition and i think it would be a wonderful way to um you know keep the the spirit of like what a D, &D game is like and mm -hmm. marry it with you know a full-on uh, series for Dungeons now and Dragons. My, uh, and now my betting good. odds, now my betting since we're in Vegas, mm -hmm. the odds mm -hmm. say that it'll most likely be a generic Willow style, you know, fantasy. Thousand percent. Hybrid. Yeah. We'll see. yeah. Similar to what we're seeing as far as the movie's concerned. Just straight up, it's in a fantasy world, deal with it. There you go. But yeah, we'll people, will be, people will be drinking from horns and wooden steins and eating yeah. with two prong forks and a wannabe witcher, a wannabe witcher, a wannabe, you know, it's, you've right. seen it, you know, come and go. You've seen it before because I know Paramount Plus is not going to put the same amount of money that Amazon did on Horn <laughs> So, no. Yeah. But um, I do want to say, though, I'm going to let you give get a rant here because the bad news for Dungeons and Dragons is some uncovered documents by Wizards of the Coast slash Hasbro, which owns Wizards of the Coast, which owns the rise to D&D about this new evolution, the new edition coming around for Dungeons and Dragons, which would include higher rates, much higher rates for least licensing it out as far as the actual rules uh, are concerned and also the actual Dungeons and Dragons properties and things of that nature to third parties, which as you know, is a big part of the actual world of Dungeons and Dragons. It's not just the straight stuff that Wizards of the Coast sent you. It's all the extraneous stories and memorabilia and accessories and things of that nature that are a part of the world of D&D. Now Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast want to, according to the documents, increase that substantially. Increasing it, I'm, I'm going to say that's just the cost of doing business. A slight increase, everybody would say, okay, that's acceptable. But you're doing it to the level which is going to shut out a lot of these third-party entities, which would include a lot of people that love to play this part of the Dungeons & Dragons universe. 
your thoughts on the mistakes that could be heading our way with Dungeons & Dragons 1. Okay, so if you play D&D and you don't own anything from Cobalt Press, mm -hmm. go right now to cobaltpress.com, I believe is their website, and start buying their stuff because it's so good. It's fantastic stuff. And uh, they have, a, you know, a, a lot of different uh, heritage options that you can play. And uh, they have some different class stuff. They've got different backgrounds, different, uh, you know, all kinds of different stuff that you can pick that doesn't officially come from Wizards of the Coast. Very, very interesting stuff. Adds really cool spice to your campaigns. But they are the first people that I thought of when I heard all of this stuff coming from Wizards of the Coast. So what they have right now, I believe, is called open source license or open licensing source or something along those lines. Basically, it means you can use our gaming system and you can write your own stuff in it and you can put it out into the world. No harm, no foul. But with the new licensing that they're talking about, once you hit a threshold of like 50,000, then there's going to be uh, some stuff that happens. Once you hit 750,000, which makes me think of automatically critical role, um, you're going to owe Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast a percentage of your profit. But the really concerning part of it is when you start to get down to the level of your actual play podcasts that you love. Wizards and Wine, we're not even like in the ballpark of being that successful. Let's be honest. I'm looking at like Dungeon Daddies. I'm looking at uh, NatPod uh, podcasts like that who really do have a, a very passionate fan base and they are making money um, off of these podcasts. But now the way that it's looking is that they're going to have to start funneling money into Wizards of the Coast. And if you write something that takes off and Wizards of the Coast likes it, they can just slap their little logo on it and then sell it and you don't own any of it. You get nothing from it. And that's the part I think that people are having a lot of problems with. You, I'm using your gaming system, but this is all of my intellectual, this is my story that I've written down. And you're just going to take that from me and put your name on it and put it in a store and you're not going to give me anything for it? That's not okay either. If this is going to be a two-way street, it truly needs to be a two-way street. Um, so there's, there's a lot of people who are having a lot of very candid conversations about switching, um, gaming systems now, um, from Dungeons and Dragons. And I guess Wizards of the Coast has a little bit of a history of this. I'm not super well versed in the history of Wizards of the Coast. So forgive me if I get things only mostly right, but it seems to me that when they went from 3.5 to 4E, so the fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. They tried something very similar to this and the popularity of Dungeons and Dragons went through the floor. People just didn't want to play it anymore. And my concern is that now that Dungeons and Dragons has crested so high and you have things like Critical Role, all of those podcasts that I've mentioned, you've got DM Dave, you've got Matt Coville, Joe Manganello. Gosh, there's a huge list of celebrities that we know play D&D &D and produce content for it. There's so much that is at stake here that if it affects them, it's eventually going to funnel its way down to the little tiny, minuscule, little tiny actual play people like what I try to do <laughs> once a week to make somebody's day a little bit brighter. What are your thoughts out there on Dungeons and Dragons and the good, talk about the movie and television show. And the bad of their ill-sided decisions based off the leaked documents from Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. So your thoughts on a possible move away from Dungeons & Dragons by the tabletop community. 
Let's hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode, but I wanted to acknowledge uh, some greatness before we head on out, and that's one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Your thoughts on Jeff Beck before we head on out? Incredible guitarist who has definitely left an indelible mark on rock music. Rest in peace and thank you for the music. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So for Melinda Barkhouse-Ross, this is Gerald Lossford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.